Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiton, here with my co-host, Todd Adkins. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. <laughs> That's a little Truman line, uh, Truman Show-esque uh, line, I like it. Um, we're excited today to be joined by uh, Mark Dance. Uh, Mark is currently the Director of Pastoral Wellness at Guidestone Financial Resources. He's also the author of a brand new book called Start to Finish, The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life and Ministry. Uh, Mark, super excited to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Dan, man. Glad to be here with you and Todd. Man, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to hang out with Mark. If you know him personally, then you know that he's just he's always been an encourager to me. But at the same time, he has a way of just cutting out a lot of the fluff. When you usually think of encouragers, you think of fluff. Um, but what I would say about him is he's very practical and a straight shooter, which which I've always loved. The other thing is. At least looking at from what I know of Mark, and I've known him for about 10 years, this is perfect for him. Um, he's just continuing who he is. He's moving from strength to strength as, as he's moved from the pastorate to different roles and never really you know, left at the same time. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, I think listeners can usually tell when I know somebody pretty well <laughs> and like them. <laughs> So uh, we should have a great conversation today. Uh, you, you are transparent, Todd. You are transparent. <laughs> hey, I'm, you know, I'm an eight Enneagram ENTJ with P tendencies, Myers-Briggs. It's, I'm pretty direct. So if I don't say anything, that's probably a bad sign. Uh, but uh, hey, man, today I just want to start off with, uh, with who are you? First of all, I do want to say who are you learning from, but what have you learned over the last several decades in writing this book for pastors? You're obviously connected with Guidestone um, that serves lots of different churches and pastors. And I just want to know, man, what have you seen over the years personally? And, and what are you seeing now Who you, and, and what you're learning? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm constantly on a learning curve. You know, the first 27 years, I was learning how to pastor a church and got to do that and enjoyed that. And my first step out of the local church was Lifeway to start Lifeway Pastors. And I've had such a great time helping get behind them. But universally, I think the challenges that we that we have, we kind of all share, regardless of what generation you're from. Some are unique, but we're still trying to get that work-life balance we're still trying to use the gifts and strengths that God gave us and come to terms with the ones we are not good at, right? That that was the, something in your 20s and 30s. You're still trying to compensate and get stronger at things God never intended you to get strong at. And so the, the, the freedom of serving the Lord with gladness mm-hmm. It comes from the fact that you're excited about other people's ministries. You're excited when, whether they're lay people in your church or other ministers, you can cheer them on and you can do it without being fluffy. And I like that. Hmm. I've not heard that term. Isn't that the term you used, Todd? I said that yeah. about you, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I'm not a fluffy encourager because that would <laughs> that would have hurt my feelings if I had any. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know. I like my my eggs fluffy and my encouragement hard boiled. Too many egg analogies here. <laughs> I'm curious though, Mark. In the title of your book, um, you know the byline is pa- uh, "The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life in Ministry." Has there been any like specific key? Like you use the word resilience. Um, was there a purpose why you used that word? And is there something you've seen that made you want to to say that? I think I think the the term resonates with people, especially who have pastored through the pandemic, because it's it's universally known that it's difficult to serve. Regardless, and when I say pastor, I'm not talking just about senior pastors. I'm not talking about org charts uh, or business cards. Just your calling has always been difficult. Always will be in season, out of season applies to everyone. However, there's a sense of uh, frustration and exhaustion that, that came out of the last three years. And fortunately, our friends at Lifeway Research have validated our hopes that their pastors aren't quitting at any different rate before or after the pandemic. Yet they they are in need of refreshing, right? And and so when our members are frustrated, when society's frustrated, uh, we are. And so I think those are those are some of the things that I deal with the most are not so much trying to dig out of depression, which is a challenge for some, but to not get stuck when you in a bad season that just seems to go on indefinitely. And if it does, then you need to ask for help. That's the hardest thing for a pastor to do is to ask somebody for help. So I wrote start to finish to help be a guide for pastors, missionaries, ministry leaders on the prevention side of pastoral care. So the resilience resilience is like bouncing back. It's like you know you can use perseverance or endurance in some more biblical terms, but when you have a bad season at home or at church, are you going to do you have enough bandwidth and margin in your life to, you know, land back on your feet and move forward again. And, and so that's what we're hoping for is not just a kind of stumbling through or falling across the finish line someday, but actually accelerating through it and having a strong finish. And I think to get there uh, someday, uh, not just to, but through retirement, then you're going to have to have a pretty, uh, you're going to have to practice resilience along the way. You know, I, I think the topic of resilience has always been, you know, been around. Um, there was a Lilly study, man, probably, I don't know how old it is now, maybe 15 years old even, um, that talks about resiliency and what they, 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 you know, looked at the different competencies or qualities of pastors that remained over the course of time, decades, like we all know that, you know, when you get to seminary, they always tell you, Hey, look to your right, look to your left. One of those guys is going to be gone. And in less than 10 years, they're going to either leave willingly or they're going to do something that takes them out. Whatever the case, um, they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to make it. And so I think the topic of resiliency is important 
and always has been. But I think it's even more important now. Recently, yeah. I was talking to uh, Ed Stetzer about leading Xer, well, leading Xers, millennials, and um, Gen Zers, and like what the differences are, and 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 all the above. So Xers, you know, they're known for being cynical, um, but. I would say what's really interesting is as you move toward the modern day and you think about the deconstruction of people's faith and what that's done um, in the pastorate with people that we know that some of them are, you know, we've, we've seen some Christian celebrities that have deconstructed their faith. Yeah. I think that's a result of an overall deconstructive culture. Uh, whether you're, you're sacred, secular, whatever, it's not just in the church. Everything is being approached from a deconstructed uh, mindset. And so it's no wonder, I think, that um, pastors sometimes struggle. Uh, they may struggle with passion or finding joy in their calling because they feel like the constant deconstructionism that's going on around them is hard to put a word on. And so, yeah. you know, right now I feel like I'm hearing different factions within pastors that I talk to. One faction is like, can we stop talking about being stressed or anxious or whatever? That's not what I'm feeling. And those guys just need to, they either need to quit or they need to pony up and ride on. And you have the other group that is feeling, you know, that stressed. And, and you know, so you've got the, the guys that are like, hey, we should be happy that we get to do this. And I agree. I think a lot of guys who are in that state um, where they're feeling depressed or anxious or whatever, that it's not that they don't want to feel that. It's just that they they don't at the moment. And the real question is, how do you build that resiliency? Like, how is that built over time? So I'm going to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be one of them. I'm counting them down. I'm going to charge you extra if they're sick. So I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so, so that's actually uh, an easy question because Jesus answered it. Um, Moses authored it. Jesus answered it. You know, we got to practice it. But a great, com great commandment is the answer. Uh, there, there's no secrets, no shortcuts. If you want to be a resilient, healthy pastor, you're going to have to be a great commandment pastor. You got to love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the key word in that great commandment, of course, is all. I mean, and so for some listening to this, it's, you know, what you're struggling with is some physical deal. It might be something you inherited or something um, you've caused, uh, you know, you ate your way into. And you're like, I need some freedom over here um, or an addiction. And then for some, you have a mental health challenge. I did 20, 15 years ago, and I got some help. And praise the Lord for that. But some of you, maybe it may be a deep spiritual thing or, or relational or financial. And so when... When you have a, again, the solution to a, to a strong start and finish is to just practice what Jesus said is the most important thing you're going to do today and tomorrow and next year and the rest of your life is love me first. All the Bible commandments, 
including my book. They all hang on those two things. You know, the great commandment, love God. So there's, there's my chief source of fuel. And then the love your neighbor parts broken out throughout scripture. But he take that, he took that from Leviticus 19. Jesus, I mean, Moses did wrote in Leviticus 19. Jesus made it the second commandment, love your neighbor. And some of the application there in, in Leviticus is about how to treat your parents. Uh, you know, neighbor means nearest one. So it starts, it starts with your family and you know, you're in my, in my life, Janet's my nearest one. And then for 20 years, uh, was Holly and Brad before they aged out and became squatters. And then now we, um, it's our parents need us more than our kids do. But then I've got people literally living on both sides of my house and across the street that God's called me to love and to reach and, course jesus uh, you know he plays that out too who's my neighbor the scribe asks a follow-up question and he says you know here's the parable of the good samaritan and those those and that of course is the great commission in its uh, old testament form and so you have a very simple not easy but very simple plan for resilience for a good start and finish is just prioritize the relationships that god says to prioritize He's first, second covenant, if you're married, your wife, and then your family. And he tells, he tells Timothy, if you don't take care of them, you're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, take care of the lost people, take care, you know, love your enemies, on and on it goes. But they're not equal in importance. You know, everybody's equal in God's eyes, but we're not God, right? right. And so if a pastor, missionary, minister can get that pecking order down, the relational part of it, I think that they're more apt to, to do the functional part of go and make disciples. And so that's the simple recipe that I've, I've tried to follow. So getting back to the five questions, because you're, you're charging us for extra ones today. I want to get back <laughs> to the price. <laughs> for, you, cur- price. <laughs> for you currently, what, what would you say your main point of emphasis for your leadership, um, you know, as it relates to Guidestone or just even in your personal life right now, what would you say that main emphasis is? Well, for, for me, the, the, the point of resilience that's unique to Guidestone would be uh, financial literacy and advocacy uh, because that's, that is part of our calling in the Southern Baptist Convention is to help them to uh, provide for and protect their, themselves and their family and their ministry. And so, you know, we've got about 450 people that are smarter than I am at all that stuff. And and yet, let's face it, everybody knows we stink at this. I mean, as a, ministers have a horrible reputation for being a lone risk and just being able to count. Hmm. And so, uh, but our job description in First Timothy 3, twice it tells us to manage our lives, you know, our family, or we're not even qualified uh, to manage God's. And I think that that blind spot in particular in the seminaries, the last three seminaries I spoke at, I dug deep on that financial literacy and advocacy, how to talk with search teams, finance committees, et cetera, some of the practical, and then even your, your own personal finances, because that's that trips a lot of people up. And honestly, as boring as that sounds, it, it, it really came alive to me in a fresh way earlier this year when I was reading Acts 20. And Paul is talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, for the last time face-to-face. And he tells him that. You know, he, he meets with Timothy and the elders 
from Ephesus and he says, I want to, uh, you know, I want to finish the race that God's given me. I want to fulfill the purpose and the race that, that God's given me. And, and then he gives him some sage advice, but the very last words he says to Timothy before they pull each other apart, they're crying. It's a real intimate, awkward moment. And the last words he tells in the last three verses of, of Acts 20, he, he shares his financial plan. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I didn't see that coming. I've never seen that before. He's like, hey, you know, I worked to support myself and my team so that, you know, uh, we would be a blessing, not a burden to you. Jesus says we're blessed to give than re- receive. And it's like, these are the last words. Basically, get a plan. And again, if you, you, you're unli- it's unlikely that we will be the most proficient person in the room, in our church especially, when it comes to finances. But let's face it, we are the most responsible person in the room if, if we are the pastor. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we don't have to be great at everything, but we do need to have, let people help us on, in that particular area. That's not the only area, of course, that I talk to them about. I still do a bunch of, Jen and I still do a bunch of marriage things for state conventions and in seminaries, but mostly that's the part that's unique because Guidestone really, really works hard to, to help them find that financial security and resiliency that, that they need to, to be ready for, you know, especially that final lap that nobody likes to talk about. Pastors hate to talk about retirement, but you know, one of these days you're either going to have to borrow from your kids or, somebody else because you weren't ready and i think i think that's pretty much in most cases preventable it it really is a a stewardship issue that is not often addressed and it ultimately limits your time and effectiveness in the shepherd spot if you if you negate the stewardship spot and that's what it is. When I look at the responsibilities of a church leader, those are the two examples we're given, the shepherd and the steward. And most of us tend to lean one way or the other. I get that. Pretty obvious which way I lean. Um, but the, the, I do think the interesting thing about that is you're, you'll meet guys, and the truth is they want to retire. They want to be able to spend more time with their wife and grandkids in their golden years, or they want to be able to hand something over well, and they just can't because a lack of poor planning, which ultimately is a distraction because they don't, they, they stay too long. They don't transition. Well, there, there's so many things and it, it really, it puts a, a, a bad look on a long life and legacy of ministry when you're not able to do that. And I say not able to do that because your responsibilities that are there, they, they don't leave. You're right. You either have to borrow from somebody or I don't know, set yourself up differently. It's well, you've nailed it. Thing. I mean, the fact is, you know, pastors, they're, they're getting older that, you know, we've read several articles about the aging pastor, but that's the main reason. It's not that they love ministry so much. They can't afford to quit. Their, their church wants them to quit. Their wife wants to quit. They want to quit or at least transition to something else, another kind of season of ministry. And although, you know, some may point out that we don't, pay them well enough, which is true. You know, Lifeway and Guidestone do that together every other year, the compensation study, and we're not paying them 
We're not keeping up with inflation. But if we pay more money and they don't know how to manage it, mm-hmm. like you said, it's a stewardship issue. It's like giving the lottery winner more money. It's not just giving them more money. I think most it's, pastors um, would be like, ah, it's not really like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I, the dumbest thing, uh, I, I'll embarrass myself here. When I went to seminary, I was 22, right out of college, had a business degree. And the first thing I did the first thing I did, and, and you have permission to laugh at me, is is I, I went to Montgomery Wards and I got a credit card so that I could buy a VCR because this latest, greatest technology, I had to have it. Watching movies in my own room, it was just too much. I had to have it, but I couldn't afford it. And so within a year, I would be pastoring my first church. I would get married. And I had a conversation somewhere in that time from when I bought that VCR And when I got married with a a guy from Guidestone, I don't remember his name or anything. And he said, hey, there's a better way to live here. If you save some, you know, your your finish is going to be much stronger. And if you stop, if you live within your means. And I talked with him. I talked with Janet. And you know what? That's the last time. That was 1986. That was the last time I paid a penny of credit card interest because I listened to that guy. Right. And it, it changed my options going forward. So it's not just getting more money, but it's living within your means and preparing for an inevitable end, which likely means your, your wife uh, is going to outlive you and you want her to finish well. And so that, I love that about Paul and Timothy because he's actually taking a love offering to Jerusalem as he's telling them to be generous givers at the at the finish line and not takers. Hmm. Well, obviously, it's uh, it goes beyond finances. I know we've camped yeah. out there a little bit, but you know I can speak to that too in my own life. The importance of some key conversations that happened with my wife and I early on. And we wouldn't be in the position we are today if, you know, somebody hadn't given us the advice during marriage counseling to say, hey, if you ever want the option for her not to bring in a salary, then you all need to live like that from the very beginning. I mean, we met in seminary. She made better grades than I did. And she had most of the same classes I did. So it is what it is, guys. And I definitely, you know, I I, uh, won on that one. But I will say, you know, if we hadn't given that because neither one of us thought that she would ever not want to do ministry that was outside the home, that she would end up focusing inside the home. But, man, it's uh, and in our church, not just inside the home. I mean, she does lots of things. That's not what this is uh, really about. It's just finances, but it's also those different areas of our life. I think one of the things that happens to us is. When we allow ourselves to compartmentalize our life, Mm -hmm. it's easy for one of those compartments to get flooded and bring everything down. I mean, you know, everybody's seen Titanic and you know what happens. One compartment floods and then it's kind of uh, it goes over and over and over into the other compartments. Ship raises and breaks in half. If you just filled it up from the bottom, it never would have sunk. If you looked at it from a holistic view. And so when you mentioned Great Commandment, Great Commission, I think part of the understanding may be that when we we try to live a quote unquote balanced life, we end up having having a tendency to compartmentalize it. And ultimately, that takes us down. 
So finance is yeah. one of those things. What's what are, what are some of the other compartments that you see uh, pastors? Yeah, well, that's point you back to the book because the book's not about finances. It's about it, what you just you teed it up. It's a, it's about the comprehensive nature of the great commandment: heart, soul, mind, and strength. Never meant to be separated and compartmentalized into separate things, but a totally holistic, comprehensive, whole life discipleship. And so, I, I break down what that looks like in a practical way for a minister to love the Lord with all your heart to love the Lord with all your soul. Well, you know, and so there's a chapter on that and with all your strength. So that does talk about physical health with all your mind talks about mental health and, and one affects the other. Uh, when I was diagnosed 15 years ago with clinical depression, I really didn't know much about it. I took a counseling class, uh, didn't make me a, you know, specialist. And, but all the questions the doctor was asking had to do with physical, how you sleeping, how you eating. You know, I'm six one. I was 167 pounds, and I couldn't explain anything. I couldn't explain why I was different. Uh, I was active, trust, lifeway trustee officer at the time. I didn't know I was de- clinically depressed. I just know it was different, and, and I couldn't make decisions. So, so the physical and the mental, spiritually, I, there were any meltdowns. But in a what a resilient, healthy minister looks like, it ne- doesn't look anything like perfectionism. But it does mean that you've got to keep uh, an eye on these areas and then let other people help you whenever you need help. And that was the hardest thing was asking my doctor, hey, I'm different and I don't know why. And so he diagnosed me. And a week later, a licensed therapist came by who'd never met my doctor. And she diagnosed me without asking any questions. Hmm. Her only question was, do you know you're clinically depressed and are you taking anything for it? And I was like, yeah, I just found out last week. How'd you know? <laughs> she diagnosed me from the pew. <laughs> hmm. It was like, and I got healthy again. And it was on the other side of that, that I started Lifeway Pastures. I wouldn't, you know, this last nine years has been pouring into other people, which I would have had nothing to pour into if I hadn't let somebody help me get healthy again. And so admitting that, and I talk to pastors all the time, just like you guys do, and, and you guys talk about leadership, and I've done a great job doing that. But the hardest person in my ministry to lead is Mark Dance. Hmm. And so I want to help you take own the, own the areas that, that need attention. As, as all Like you said, they're all stewardship areas, not just the financial part. And then let people with expertise um, – and maybe a few more birthdays, someone walk through this with them. Um, I set this up. I called it a, a pastor's guide to leading a resilient life in ministry because I'm, I'm picturing somebody 10 years older than you, whoever you are listening, hmm. uh, walking through this with you, checking your pulse, seeing that you are, you're still doing well in areas that you need attention, that you're, you're, you're following up on that. Hmm. So that because, you know, it's, it's not how we start. It's how we finish that that really uh, matters. And you're you call this out, Todd, earlier. We have so many heroes we've seen. How many since we've known each other in the last decade? How many of our peers have failed to finish the race or at least flopped across the finish mm-hmm. line? And, I mean, I, I really want to help them uh, have a better, better ending than that. 
Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think about this too, from almost a generational standpoint, you see the younger generations out there being more okay with, you know, mental health conversations and things like that. But people you're mentored by that are, you know, that may be at the, the end of their journey, kind of almost tell you just toughen up and and that's the way life is and look to the Lord and things like that, that, that instead of kind of pointing people towards, you know, Hey, go and get help. You know, um, it's good that books like this are out there that might help somebody that's maybe even being mentored incorrectly through those phases. Um, get that help or just even think about stewardship things like, you know, we're not really taught that in school, um, right. you know, whether that's high school, college or seminary, those are things that are not really discussed well, but want to, want to switch gears, Mark, and just even ask you, what does leadership for you look like even in your home? So you talked about, you know, you've got to first do Mark. I would yeah. assume next on your list is your immediate family. What did, what did it look like for you to shepherd and to lead at your home? Well, you know, the first person I said no to when I said I do to Janet was me, you know, and and then uh, since then, there's been a series of demotions. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's old school, but at at my wedding, you know, I broke up with my parents and that's what Genesis 2 tells us to do. Jesus tells us to do like, okay, I mean, mom doesn't even have a speaking part. You just sit there and we, we need to have a create a boundary here. And then we had kids the kids need us a lot more you know in the earlier years but we had to make sure and that that the first covenant my my love for jesus doesn't need to compete with janet or vice versa and then from there uh sometimes i have to demilt my my parents and my kids my family and then when i have a ministry uh those folks cut in line all the time and they're not trying to blow up my relationship with god or my family but i disciple them by giving them boundaries to either say wait or no and and that feels guilty sometimes for the minister but how i practice that is that every day the first person that i spend time with and talk to every day is jesus and i have a very simple bible reading plan i read a chapter a day i try you know i've, I've read through the bible in a year a few times and i'm just skimming it so i'm i don't think as fast as <laughs> most people so chapter a day you know, and then, you know, Janet's, she's next. I mean, she's got to be on my calendar, my priority. And then from there, you know, depending on your stage of life, you know, things change. But two things never change. Jesus and Janet will always be the king and queen. And if I'm good with them, it doesn't matter if I get applause or booze from everybody else. And if I'm not right with one of them, you know, the same applies. They will always be my true source, my top two covenants. And fleshing that out means that we're going to have to spend time I'm with them and I'm going to have to listen. And listening to God, listening to Janet, that's just how relationships grow. Again, Dan, nothing new. Uh, no secrets or shortcuts here. But it, you know, your marriage will not grow automatically especially when you have preschoolers and children at home that's when a lot of them take their hand off the wheel and um and 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 whether they focus on ministry or family or all these other admirable things and they stop focusing on each other and then all of a sudden the kids leave and their their nest is is you know or their marriage is empty as their nest and 
Mm. And, and, and you, you guys know this, your, our ministries will, will never be stronger than our marriages. And so, so never feel guilty about investing time in your spouse because it, it not only helps them and helps you, it helps the people that you're serving because they're trying to figure out work-life balance as well. Okay, Mark, what do you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice do you give yourself other than VCRs are one of the many tools of the devil? <laughs> what, what advice yeah. do you give yourself about leading? Yeah, yeah, great. I love that question. And, uh, and that's an easy one for me, you know, and this applies to home and church. Just talk less and listen more. I get that great advice from the most unlikely source in the Bible. It was Peter that told us to love our, our spouse in an understanding way. Isn't that ironic? He's telling us to listen to our wives and, you know, not known for being a great listener, but always running his mouth. Somewhere along the way, he matured. That's my that's my personal take on it. I mean, I'll find out when we get to heaven if that's true. Hmm. But I think if I look back and I'm talking to that 22 year old Mark, I'd say because you know, listen more, listen to your kids, listen to your wife, listen to your church members, and talk less. Most of us listening to this are using gifts that we're speaking is natural for us. It's a strength for us. That makes listening is not as natural. And so the listening is more of a discipline than the speaking. And I think uh, especially for our, our group and especially for me, I think listening has always been hard to do and I'm still working on that discipline. That's really insightful. Mark, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the Five Leadership Questions podcast today and just sharing your experiences in leadership from, you know, pastoring a church to Lifeway to now what you do with Guidestone. Uh, you have an impact on so many people and, and I'm excited to, to read this book. And thank you listeners for, for being with us today. We hope this has been helpful for you and your leadership. And if it has, we encourage you to leave us a, a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help others find us. Uh, thanks again for listening.